Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ricardo Quaresma to my Wes Burns. It's Justin Peach. Good day, dear Ryan. How are you, Justin? Are you feeling better than Wayne Rooney in that picture of him after the <laughs> Rotherham game? <laughs> that was uh, an incredible meme, but it has incredible meme potential. It's a bit like the Ben Affleck one, isn't it? When he's outside. That's, that's exactly what yeah. I thought. Exactly what I thought. It is exactly <laughs> the same as the Ben Affleck having a cigarette outside meme, isn't it? But he just looks so bereft. It's wonderful. He looks so done as well. And he's what, what, three? Not even three months in. He's about eight weeks into his job and he just looks... Yes, yeah. just out. He wants out. He wants out, doesn't he? He wants. He wants to go back to the US. Have a, have yeah. a nice, comfy life, getting well paid. <laughs> Here I was, sat there in Washington, just not getting recognised on the street, and now here he is, just getting ripped into to shreds for this start that he's having at Birmingham. But that I think it's beautiful that we've all, you know, witnessed the birth of a meme right here. It's so perfect. I love it so much. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. I mean, what a weekend of football it's been in the championship. We have had some unbelievable goals, which we will be talking about very shortly indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Cracking results all over the place as well. Some controversial decisions, which we'll also get on to later. And then we'll do the polls at the end of the show, as well as Simon Grayson's hateful eight. So we'll kick things off with a wonder goal. From Wes Burns, which helped Ipswich beat Coventry 2-1. IPK's three-word review, the tractor keeps rolling. Owens is tractor's got wings. Jason only needs two words, Wes Burns. Daniels is Chrismid a win. And I motioned to scrap the whole episode and just drool over that goal for an hour instead. Those who agree say aye. Aye. Good. Oh my word, Justin, what an utterly outrageous bit of football. I mean, the Traveller strike itself is stupendous, mm-hmm. but the build-up play before it is so beautiful. How good a goal are we talking here, Justin? It, it's it's up there, isn't it, as, as one of the best you will see at championship level, not just because of the technique in terms of the goal, but also the build-up play, as you say. I think the build-up play is something that will get completely disregarded because of the outrageous aspect to the to the goal or outrageous factor to the goal. Is as I say, I think in terms of technique, it's probably one of the best I've seen. It's just floating into the top corner. It's 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 flawless. Is it the best overall goal, goal I've seen at this level? Maybe, maybe not. But as I say, I think. You can't take anything away from the strike from West Burns because, I mean, who'd have thought anyone at championship level would pull that off? Because, it's, you, I mean, you very rarely see it in any level of football. It's, it's a very hard goal to pull off. So that just exemplifies how good a goal it was. 
Yeah, Burns said afterwards that Kieran McKenna had a go at him for not using his left foot. Rightly so, rightly so. (laughs) (laughs) Just typical manager in tip. I mean, the amount of swerve on that is insane. It's going miles wide initially. If you actually watch it again Mm. and see how far that ball is going wide, it's outrageous. And then it ends up in the top bin as well. It's like a guided missile into that top corner. I think for me... It's in the top five goals in championship history for me, easily. That's how good it was. The Travello on its own may very well be worthy of a top five place, but the build-up play as well is just the icing on the top. Yeah, I think that's the thing that we need to talk about as well, is how good good a football it was to get to that point. Ipswich moved it from, from back to front within what nine or ten passes however many it was and then Westburn just creates a, a lot of space for himself to, to pull that shot off it's it's really good football and really good ability uh, really good technique um, and that's just a credit to everyone at the football club because I know I've said that Ipswich need to tidy up at the back but when you've got this level of confidence going forwards it's a huge huge thing and it, and it, help, uh, and it makes you pull these types of um, types of goals off yeah, anyone who's seen Ipswich on a regular basis this season knows that that football in the lead-up is nothing out of the ordinary. This is something we see every single week with Ipswich, isn't it? It's not very often you get that kind of end result, though, <laughs> is it at all? Um, do you know what is possibly the most outrageous thing about this whole goal, Justin, is Leif Davis has got another assist out yeah. of it. He's on nine <laughs> for the season now, and this one was probably the easiest of the lot. It's kind of like, uh, do you remember that Gareth Bale goal against uh, West Ham? all those years yes. ago yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Tom Cavill does a one yard pass backwards <laughs> to Gareth Bale and he just blasts it into the, th- into the top corner from 30 yards out it's like the easiest assist ever this is kind of the same thing from Leif Davis although you know that was a crossfield ball, but he was, you know, as far as his assist goes, yeah. probably the easiest one of the lot. And to back-to-back wins for Ipswich, the first time they've managed it in just over a month. It was a very regular occurrence, but they had a bit of a flat patch in the last few weeks. Despite that, still just one point off top, seven points ahead of third-placed Ipswich, and the Ipswich are going up. Tractor is getting into top gear once again, and a big part of that is Portman Road being an absolute fortress, isn't it? They've won nine of their ten league games there and that's always a very good foundation for a promotion winning season isn't it well, absolutely I, I think the, the thing you need to shine a light on more is, is the fact that they've scored 30 at home so far in just 10 games how outstanding, how outstanding is that averaging three goals um, every home game is just incredible and I, I think that's the key thing here it, it creates a fear factor from other teams which means they've got to potentially tweak how they play Um just because of the amount of goals they score, the amount of chances they do create, automatically, as I say, teams will need to adjust and that may or may not hinder Ipswich, but Kieran McKenna has dealt with every challenge that's been thrown at him bar one um, at Portman Road this season. Um, and again, you just, you've just you got to you've got to credit it. I'm frustrated they didn't keep a clean sheet if I'm going to be really picky, but when you're that good going forward, especially at home, you're going to score goals. It's going to give you a big, um, big chance to win the game. Simple. Yeah, and one of the most incredible things about Ipswich is how they've started the season so well, but they're doing it arguably playing the best football in the league. And I think Portman Road helps with that because the fans aren't getting on their back when they're passing it out from the back. Mm -hmm. They're not nervy at all, are they? The players seem so comfortable at home playing triangles in their own box and just knocking it around with these crossfield balls. It's a lot different to where Mick McCarthy was there and they were just (laughs) smashing up to Joe Garner, isn't it? But, you know, Portman Road is proving to be a huge advantage for Ipswich and that's particularly... Particularly 
important when they've got a big period of games coming up against big rivals Norwich, then Leeds, then Leicester. The Norwich and Leicester games are both at home. So that's yeah. a big positive at this early stage in the season. They've got these big games and they're doing it on the home turf, which is, you know, such an advantage for them. Coventry had looked like they turned a corner heading into this. I wouldn't say it's particularly a step backwards. Ipswich are just very good, aren't they? They did miss a penalty if Matty Godden scored. That could have been an interesting end to the game, but it wasn't to be. There was one moment in this game where Coventry had a promising attack. Jamie Allen's on the ball and then his teammate, Jake Bidwell, goes flying into the back of him and they lose the ball. It kind of uh, summed up the afternoon from a Coventry perspective. Speaking of wonder goals, let's keep that topic going, Justin. A wonder goal from Wesley Hoyt saw Watford win 2-1 away at Hull. A lob from 45 yards out. It's a shame, really, that it happened on the same day as the Wes Burns wonder goal for Ipswich. Otherwise, people would probably be talking about it a lot more. And it probably would, have, it probably would win goal of the season in most seasons, wouldn't it? Had it not been topped about an hour early into the day. You know my stance on halfway line punts, Ryan. I'm not a big fan of them. I, don't get me wrong, they are, no. they are good goals um, in their own right. But... You know, Wesley Hoyt scored 13 goals in his entire career. He doesn't do it very regularly. So I'm not having that as a, 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 well, as a guided missile, as some strikes can be. But it was a good goal. And I think he said in his post-match, in the post-match presser that um, they knew that Ryan Allsop spent a lot of time off his line. So they were trying to exploit that. Um, so that's that's an interesting thing. The, the funny thing about this goal is Ryan Allsop's reaction, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredible. He loses his mind. Uh, I, I don't know. I presume he's frustrated at his teammates for not closing down Wesley Hoyt, given that Wesley Hoyt's 40 yards out, 40, 45 yards out. It's an incredible bit of overreaction from him after being lobbed from that distance. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I think that's possibly my favourite bit of the whole goal, yeah. just shouting at his defenders. I'm not sure what they could have done. I'm not sure what Ryan Allsop could have done because I saw some people having a go at him. I don't think there was much he could do at all. From what I've seen, he wasn't outrageously far off his line and I don't think he had any chance of saving it he's gone exactly where Hoyt wanted it to wasn't it I'm quite surprised Justin I was half expecting as I was coming into this podcast you to say you actually preferred Hoyt's goal to no, Wes Burns no. maybe to cause a little bit of controversy and get up your back That's a little bit I was expecting bit. but I mean I, I, I didn't criticise it but I wasn't a big fan of Ishmael Assar's goal against West Brom was it last season he scored from the halfway line um, uh, for, for Watford so I wasn't a big fan of that one so I can't really go into it this one exactly the same although this was a better hit strike I do think I will give him credit for it but it wasn't better than a Traveller definitely was not better than a Traveller alright then both Watford goals by the way some sort of a bias I'm sensing here ladies and gentlemen <laughs> uh, Watford are just quietly climbing up the table up to 10th now after one loss in nine let's go to the promotion race and there was a crazy end to the game at the Hawthorns for what Leicester ran out the two on winners against West Brom West Brom equalised in the 89th minute after being a goal down before Leicester scored a 94th minute winner through Harry Winks did you know Enzo Moresca made his professional debut in football playing for West Brom that completely um, passed me by yeah <laughs> That's the reaction I pulled as well, Justin. Yeah, going to have to wiki this after the game, uh, after the podcast. That is, a, that, is a, that is an interesting bit of trivia. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I never knew that at all. So it may be something that older football fans will be saying, well, of course he did. But I genuinely had no idea. He was there for a bit of time as well before he got sold to Juventus for four million quid. 
I am completely gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never knew that at all uh, until about six hours ago. Incredible. Justin, why, oh, why did West Brom commit so many men forward for that last minute throwing? Have some ambition, Ryan. Have some ambition. They wanted oh, to win the game. Come they on. They wanted to win the game. They might want to win the game, but it's a point against Leicester City. It would have been a cracking result. It would have been a good result. I think I'm more disappointed that Jason Mulumbe didn't commit a cynical foul to take down. I think it was Ian Acho. He had the chance yeah. to do it, went begging, and Proper obviously Leicester. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Just kick him. Just kick him. Take the yellow card. We're done. You, you, you take the draw and everyone's content. But he didn't. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, Leicester were a bit fortunate with the way the ball broke for Iheanacho, but an extra man back, and I don't think that last-minute attack happens the way it does. They just didn't need to do it. But I think this was a great example, Justin, of how important Kieran Dewsbury Hall is to the team. Didn't start against Sheffield Wednesday in the week, which was, for my money, Leicester's worst performance of the season. He starts here and was the match winner, match winner really, with a goal and an assist. Yeah, he was He was a you know, big difference, obviously, just with that. But he's, it's his driving runs from the number eight position that really impressed me. He drives, um, he gets into those good goal-scoring positions and he's, and he's I mean, the, the, the first goal for example, came from, um, you know, composure in the middle, getting out wide, getting indeed into a wide position and getting the ball in the box. And he's, and he's carried on his run. He's got in between the penalty spot and the, um, well, and, and the goalkeeper and, he, and he's put in a beautiful, beautiful deft header. And it was, it was a really good goal. But, you know, you're talking about that level of um, responsibility in a team. Leicester need that in a play. I mean, you look at um, Cesare Cassidy, for example, he's he's yet to really impress. You know, you know when you're picking up the slack when Kinnan just behold he's either off form or not playing, you need players to come in uh, and do it because it just puts a big uh, responsibility on on players like Kinnan just to come in and perform. But he's an outstanding talent. We know this. We've, we've rated him from the very start. But this game was a you know, a big, big uh, well point to um, to his quality because he, I think he was a key reason, well, the reason why Leicester won. Yeah, well, I mean, that midfield of KDH, Winks and Ndidi is a Premier League midfield in its own right, isn't it? I do think Ndidi is someone we perhaps haven't given enough praise to, yeah. but it's hard when Dewsbury Hall is stealing the headlines so often. And this was another example of that. He is simply a cut above the rest in this extremely talented Leicester side. He's got a couple of headers now this season, but has been a match winner on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. And he just gives them that X factor, doesn't he? Which other teams simply don't have. He's perhaps been a bit off it recently during this mini slump that Leicester have had, but he is a phenomenally talented player who's probably the leading contender for player of the season at this stage, would you say? It's games like this where players pick up, you know, tight games, players pick pick up the game by the scruff of the neck and run with it. And he did that. He's a a supremely talented player and he's been in incredible form this season. As I said, I think it's a very obvious statement to make but if, if he's not in that Leicester team I don't think Leicester are performing anywhere near the level they have been so far this season yeah I think he's certainly won the points individually on his own anti. I think that overall quality may be enough to see them be at a similar level to what they are now but you know players like Dewsbury Hall are just absolutely priceless at this level I think there's a lot of positives for West Brom to take away from this game isn't there they deserved at least a point against the best team in the league so far so should get a lot of credit shouldn't they they absolutely should I was really impressed with West Brom the, the fact that they just went after Leicester for 
you know, large periods of the game. There was that 10-minute spell probably just before Leicester scored where West Brom dropped a little bit too deep um, and maybe Corbrand could have made a changes, made a couple of changes to freshen things up in the middle um, and in the uh, final third. But nonetheless, it didn't happen. They did get back into the game and obviously were unfortunate to concede the way they did in the, in the last minute. But they made it a really uncomfortable game for Leicester and you saw the reaction of the players and the staff uh, at that last-minute goal going in on the pitch celebrating for Leicester. That's a sign of relief, and I think that's a big compliment to West Brom because it feels like a snatch and grab moment from from a lesser perspective, because West Brom have given them a game. It was a really good tactical display from Corbrand once again, and I think again a little bit of quality, a little bit of you know clinical decision making, i.e., kicking Ihinacho rather than letting him break away. West Brom take a point from this game. Well, they were the better team for large parts of the game, weren't they? Defended really well too. I think it just shows how far West Brom have come under Carlos Corbran because towards the end of last season, and certainly before Corbran came in, they would have just rolled over against a team as good as Leicester. Now they're competing against the best in the league. Mm-hmm. Still a long way to go, but they are looking very good value for a playoff place at least. Only their second loss at home this season as well. And when one of them is against a Leicester team who really shouldn't be at this level, I don't think that's a, a bad thing at all. A crazy first half saw Leeds beat Middlesbrough 3-2. A great game this. It was 2-1 after seven minutes. There's now been 15 goals in the first half of Leeds's last six games. So certainly exciting starts to their contest a great win though for Leeds they seem to play better against the better sides this season they've now beaten Leicester Ipswich and Middlesbrough however they've also dropped points to Rotherham Sheffield Wednesday and Stoke (laughs) so make of that what you will it is eight wins from ten though for Leeds and despite them still trailing the top two Daniel Farker is doing a cracking job at Ellen Road isn't he he is I I do want to remind you this might put you on the spot a little bit I do want to remind you of your scepticism of him in the summer is that right to bring up now yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right to bring up now. And I, I will admit, I did have that scepticism when he was appointed. I, he is just doing much better than I expected. And I'm happy to admit that. The amount of turnover in the lead squad yeah. in the summer combined with the fact he had a slow start when he first went in at Norwich, he gave me doubts that it would work out as well as everyone would have hoped because I just don't think he has really dealt with a situation like yeah. Leeds had in the summer. But, you know... It's Daniel Farker in the championship, isn't it? He makes magic happen in this league. I mean, I still have concerns about how they would do in the Premier League with him in charge, but we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. But this season, he's got Leeds playing great football. They have the top two well in their sights and have been frightening at times, haven't they? Yeah, well, they have. And I, and I want to bring up Fulham and Scott Park as an example of the quality of coaching Daniel Farker has done. Uh, it's Bit of a bit of a roundabout way of saying it, but if you look at the, if you go back to how that Fulham squad was set up, um, they had Mitrovic up front, Anthony Nokiar, Ivan Cavaliero. They had so much attacking quality, but it never clicked. It never felt like it clicked, and they, whilst they were promoted, it wasn't particularly convincing. Daniel Farker has had to blend together the likes of Somerville. Um, there's Bamford, Bamford in the squad, Ruta, Joel Pirro. There's so much attacking quality. Dan James as well, um, and they could have gone a similar way to to Fulham, where they. are not exactly clicking in that final third, but they do. They break so quickly. Timing of runs are fantastic and the individual quality is always there on display. And as I say, that comes down to the quality of coaching that Daniel Fark puts in. He likes his teams to play fast on the break and this leads teams, it, it's clicking, it, it's working in that way. And I think it's just a case of um, picking up those results against the poorer teams and, and Leeds will definitely lay some gloves on that automatic promotion race. But until then, keep winning your games and, pre- and keep entertaining because they've got the quality to do it. And Fark's tapping into that quality. 
yeah, they could do with stop leaking as many goals as they are because that has been a bit of a concern recently. But, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as they keep winning. But my main concern would be them ironing out those one in five games where they just seem to put in a mm-hmm. poor performance for whatever reason. But I'm thoroughly enjoying Leeds when they're in top gear and we're seeing them in top gear very often. Michael Garrick seems happy with his team's performance here. What he won't be happy with is the ever-growing list of players unavailable to him. By my counts, they're going to have 10 players missing for the game against Ipswich next weekend. They have had some really rotten luck with mm. injuries, haven't they? Yeah, and I think that the frustrating thing is we're not going to see the best of Middlesbrough until they've got that fully fit squad. But have they let have they let it impact the way they play or how they play? Not really. They still play to their strengths, which is a real positive. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's an admirable thing and it's a sign of good coaching. You know, Michael Carrick's not had to create a rigid, hard-to-break-down team. He's just principles are there play to them and, and you'll and you'll make teams um, you'll make teams uncomfortable and they they did do against Leeds and you know on a different day with with a, with a fuller squad they may have may have got a result at Ellen Road but yeah it's frustrating because as I say I don't think we're going to see the best of Middlesbrough until they get a fully fit squad and are they really going to have it this season? I don't know. Is it a transition season? Maybe that's the expect- expectation because of how much the squad has been impacted. Yeah. But well, that's a good question, Justin. Will we ever see a fit, a fully fit Middlesbrough squad? It doesn't happen too often, really, does yeah. it? Especially after a team has been as blighted with injuries as they had, and just to show, kind of show the impact these injuries are having between you and me. If they had a fully fit squad for the season, they'd probably be in the race for the top two, wouldn't they? Well, that's why I predicted them to finish in the top two. I was expecting well, a fully go, fit. Then. I was expecting a fully fit Middlesbrough <laughs> squad, but it's not happened. And that's exactly what I'm going to point towards at the end of the season when uh, when people remind me of that bad prediction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they are killing them. I, I don't think that's uh, deniable, really. I get that. Every team has their injuries over the course of the season, but I do believe a big factor in how well your team does in the season depends on who stays fit and for how long. You look at, you know, Ipswich and Leicester, for example, as good as those squads are, how many injuries have they really had? Not really that many, have they? Whereas Borough have really had problems ever since the first kick of the ball, haven't they? I mean, Lewis O'Brien, Davil Lenahan, mm. Marcus Force, Riley McGree, Dan Barlasser, none of those players have featured in more than 10 games this season. That's a lot of talent being kept out of this team. And they're doing well to still be getting good performances, good results out of the players who they have left, but they have been absolutely battered throughout the whole season so far. Southampton have now won 27 points from an available 33 after beating Cardiff 2-0. A very comfortable win to continue their remarkable form. And one player in particular who's been the most remarkable of the bunch is that lad, Adam Armstrong. Scored both goals against Cardiff, the second top goal scorer in the division. He's now got eight goal contributions in his last six games. And has been on fire, hasn't he? Yeah, I don't think we've given him enough credit this season, have we? I just think he's quite unfair because he has been scintillating. He's been really, really good. And in fact, he's on the same number of goals after 19 games as uh, as Ricky Lambert was in 2011-2012 when Southampton uh, were last promoted to the Premier League. And or was he? Or was he? Yes. Don't. We'll we'll, we'll talk to the water. See what the water says. 
uh, we'll get an answer. Um, but Ricky Lambert scored, or allegedly scored, twenty-seven that season, um, which is a really good, really, <laughs> really good return. Um, and Adam Armstrong doing what he's doing now is, um, yeah, he's, he's really good because I've lost my train of thought of where I'm going now because of the water <laughs> comment. But going back to Adam Armstrong, he's been really impressive in clinical this season because, um, I mean, despite being a good goal scorer at this level anyway, you could always accuse him of making poor decisions in front of goal when he was at Blackburn. Um, but I feel like he's really matured this season under Russell Martin he's Russell Martin's made him more flexible and as I say his, his decision making's improved tenfold and that's why he's getting the goals he's, uh, he's getting yeah and he just seems to have notched up the 12 goals fairly effortlessly yeah. hasn't he without really grabbing the headlines he's been asked to play in quite a few positions for Southampton but wherever he's played it's led to goals I do wonder if he's one of those players who falls into the Dwight Gale paradox well a young Dwight Gale anyway of too good for the championship not good enough for the Premier League? Is it? I don't think we really will really know until maybe next season if Southampton do go up because I like him in this Russell Martin system and as I say he's really matured and I think the maturity aspect is, is what might be the big difference here and his decision making got better so he might become more clinical as he gets um, as he as he gets more opportunities in the Premier League should yeah should Southampton win the win promotion this season. All I'm going to say is 40 goals in his last 59 championship games, four goals in 53 Premier League games. Quite the contrast that. But who knows, maybe under Russell Martin, if he is playing under him in the Premier League, if they get there, um, maybe it'll all be different. But yeah, very comfortable win for Southampton. This three-word review from Ruben, best performance yet. The Saints remain fourth, one point behind Leeds. Cardiff are 11th after this result. I said this recently and the point still stands. They feel like one of those teams who you look at and go how are you so high in the table you just don't seem to win many football matches and uh, that is very much the case of Cardiff City recently for them to be 11th after 19 games is promising though Justin so how do they build upon this good start I think it's a case of consistency and obviously when you look at Errol Bullet and what he's done so far this season I think these last two games against Southampton and West Brom are reminders of how strong the championship is um, so I think building on the success that they've they've had is, is going to be difficult Again, I, I've mentioned it before I think creating more chances and um, is, is going to be helpful for them because they, they do have quality but you look at Carl and Grant is he as clinical as, as, as Cardiff maybe need him to be to get them into top six he isn't um, so I think the big difference is if they stay within punching distance of um, the playoffs and get Keith Moore in January then then maybe they can have an assault but I think it's a case of being a bit more creative in that final third and, and controlling games a little bit better than that's that's how they can build. But at the end of the day, I think a mid-table finish would would still represent success for Cardiff this season. I mean, it would be cracking season for Cardiff, wouldn't it? I think. Uh, I get what you're saying. They're just a very bottom-heavy side, aren't they? Mm. The best performances these, this season have all been defenders. <laughs> Gautas, NG, Collins, yeah. maybe a couple of others you could throw in there as well. But without a doubt, it's be- they're much better defensively than they are going forwards. And I mean, that is one of the reasons why I had my doubts about Cardiff at the start of the season. Admittedly, they're doing a lot better than I expected so far. However, a lot of the tackers do fall into a category of can be good, but by and large, a rather unconvincing Carl and Grant Josh Bowler, Yaku Meite, I could go on. So that's why they've got to strengthen in January without a doubt. Kiefer Moore would be a great start, but I think you've also got to bring in a bit more of a service for him as well. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the relegation battle in the Championship.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Let's look at the relegation battle then. And Sheffield Wednesday got just their two second win of the season by beating Blackburn 3-1. Blackburn were Justin Peach's banker in midweek and he was very outraged about this result on WhatsApp, ladies and gentlemen, whereas I was delighted. I was even more delighted when I saw that the first goal came from Windass assisting Kadamartri. And no, you haven't got back in time to the year 2000, ladies and gentlemen. It's Josh Windass setting up 18-year-old Bailey Kadamartri. He's the son of former Everton striker Danny. And this was his first goal in senior football. He's someone I've been hearing quite a lot about for quite some time, Justin. Very mm-hmm. highly thought of at Hillsborough. He's been attracting interest from Premier League sides. And based off this game, looks a very exciting prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I was going to say the same thing. I've been hearing a lot of things from Wednesday fans about him, which can only mean yeah, good positive things. Obviously, getting a goal the way he did as well. The timing of his run, I think, is is, is brilliant. Getting into the um, just just beyond the six yard box and emphatically putting it away. I think that that speaks a lot of his confidence to to get into that position and and um, yeah, coming through the ranks as well. It's a big thing. And, and Wednesday need Wednesday need this in terms of a young player coming through that fans can can really can really hang on because if they're not particularly performing very well and you've got a young player coming through it does give you a lot of hope and also it gives them a good asset um, going down the line if they want to sell so yeah it's, it's a big big thing and I think um, I think Danny Rule giving him his, his, his chance again is, is a real big positive and a real big change as well because Wednesday haven't had too many academy products come through in, in recent years hmm. and he's apparently already scored double figures for the under-21s. So why not give him a go, really? Let's be honest, he can't be any worse than what they've (laughs) already used this season, can he? And Wednesday can afford to gamble because they're more than likely going down at this point. So you may as well throw the kitchen sink at it. And if one of the things you throw ends up being a wonder kid, then great. But Danny Wall has been saying he sees something special in Cadamartry. Hopefully we get to see more of him. Um, we were just having a little chat in the break then, Justin. Could we put together a team of ex-championship legends whose sons are now playing in the championship? I reckon we could have a decent crack at it. Yeah, I think so. I was thinking of a few names. I've got Angus Gunn, Brian Gunn, Brian Gunn's his dad, ex-Norwich. Yes, yeah. You've got uh, James Hill, Matt Hill. Matt Hill's his dad. Mm-hmm. Then you've got yeah. uh, Charlie Cresswell. Obviously, Richard Cresswell's his dad. Are we going for we're going for the the dads in in this eleven, aren't we? Not the sons. I think we can we can pair, pair them together um, and put okay. them. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be obvious because people might not know Brian Gunn is. He was he was a mid nineties GK. But can I throw can I throw another one in for yeah. you? I'll, I'll go with um, 
Yo Moweni, Noah oh, Moweni, yes. Noah Moweni at Preston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's another one. Um, you said Cresswell, obviously Windass, yeah, yeah. Josh and Dean. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, we've got it. There is a few in we there. Could, I reckon yeah. if we, yeah. I reckon we probably could have a decent crack at making a whole team. And of course, Cadam Artery, I haven't mm. even mentioned him. Um, so yeah, there's a decent team going on there. Yeah, we, we again, it's going to be another wiki binge after this to to do some deep research and provide the listeners with some real value. Uh, going yeah, into that's the next what we episode. want to hear. We <laughs> want us to hear a pointless eleven created instead of actual, you know, Inside. reaction to the championship <laughs> results. Uh, this result leaves Wednesday ten points from safety, still bottom of the pile. Uh, Birmingham v Rotherham ended goalless. NFL legend Tom Brady was in the crowd for this one. I assume reconsidering his life choices because this wasn't a great game at all. <laughs> You've won seven Super Bowls, Tom. Why do you need to watch Ollie Burke bashing into Daniel Ayala for ninety minutes? Uh, another person in the crowd was Nathan Jones, who's reportedly held talks over becoming Rotherham's new manager. An appointment is expected this coming week. And even though he was there for this game, he said he's not a guarantee for the job. But what do you think, Justin, about that? I think it's a really ambitious appointment and a really good one and a real forward thinking one from from. Tony Stewart um, or, or the board at Rotherham I should say yeah, I, I really do like it I think Jones would be a good appointment for a lot of teams in this in this division but I think Rotherham um, who don't have a big budget who are probably more adept at playing a, a high pressing direct style of play and you've got Nathan Jones who's really good at getting those clubs who are seen as underdogs and, and getting more out of them i.e. just I mean just Luton's the only example we've got but what an incredible rise it was um, and he, it, I think he's got a lot of value to offer um, a, a lot of well quality as well and I think going to a team like Rotherham who are in a relegation battle it will be a big test but he's got a big um, a big what's the word I'm looking for he's got to turn around his reputation basically and uh, I think Rotherham it'll be a big benefit for Rotherham yeah well, I will be honest, I never expected Nathan Jones to fancy this job. I thought he would bide his time and wait for something to come up at a mid-table side. But if not, then fair play. I think this would be an unbelievable appointment for Rotherham. And when it comes to Nathan Jones, he needs a club similar to Luton, doesn't he? As we know, it didn't go very well at any other club aside from Luton. And Rotherham kind of fit that mould, don't they? Mm. He works, he can work on a budget. He gets players playing above their level and their chances of staying up would improve dramatically in my view if they got him in. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the other thing is uh, the fact that all bottom, all the all of the bottom four have changed managers so far does add that layer of intrigue to the relegation battle. Um, mm. and, and I do think with the right manager and the right temperament and I guess the right you know, ability to get the more out of a team that isn't particularly gifted with quality and money, um, I think he can do a decent job and, and, and have Rotherham fighting. And I think that's the, last, the, the very least he needs to do is, is get Rotherham scrapping because they've looked second best in 90% of their game so far this season. And he will make that happen, won't he? He will become, you know, Nathan Jones, 1000% turned up Nathan Jones, where he's fist pumping in people's faces, Absolutely. veins pulsing out of his neck. That's what we like to see. And I hope we see it back in the championship very soon. Uh, did you see that former Rotherham manager, Matt Taylor's back in work already? He's been appointed the new Bristol Rovers boss just over two weeks since he was sacked. I like to think Rotherham sent him a little text saying, you've moved on quick. Uh, QPR have won back-to-back <laughs> games for the first time since October last year. It's after winning 2-0 away at 
Preston. Uh, QPR fan Lewis's three-word review. Marty the man. Preston fan Tony's three-word review. Abysmal second half. And Sifuentes is now one win away from matching the number of wins Gareth Ainsworth had in eight months at QPR. <laughs> Even though he's only been there, only been there for a matter of weeks. Maybe one of the things Ainsworth was getting so wrong was not playing Chris Willock because he was fantastic against Preston, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good. And I think that's the key thing. He's getting a lot out of that attacking quality that they've got. It felt like um, Elias Cho and Chris Willock were back to their, their best um, in, in this game. And that second goal was a nice throwback to the quality you know that they both got. It was a really good link-up. And you know, I think going back to Cho, I can't recall him doing anything significant so far this season. So he's got his mojo back and Chris Willick's now got two in two as well. So it's a really, really good place to be. And if you've got a manager who's getting the best out of the players that they're currently at the club, that's all you can ask for. And I think the style of play has improved defensively. They've improved going forwards. They've improved. I'm not sure I'd go as far to say as they're back at their best because we have to remember that when QPR were actually good <laughs> those two okay, yeah, were, they were, they were ridiculously good yeah they were yeah, Chris Willock was arguably the best midfielder in the division a couple of seasons ago so there's obviously a player in there and it's just Sifuentes just has to get him out of there and if you are Sifuentes and you get Willock and Chair playing to their best you'll go a long way to staying up I just can't believe Ainsworth didn't play him there's that's one of the reasons why Willock was so low on confidence and why a great example of why Ainsworth was very out of his depth mm-hmm. because you have such a talented player who was just banished from the team, essentially. Uh, should Lyndon Dykes been sent off an elbow in the first half, Justin? Yeah, I think it's a red. You, I mean, you do need your elbows to jump. I hate that explanation of pundits going into great depth of, well, they need to jump with their elbows. But similarly, you sometimes need to, sometimes you show you stood in a tackle, you run the risk of a red card. It's a slightly dangerous one. So if you do, jump wide with your elbows you run the risk of getting a red card it's simple as that so yeah it was it was a a bit of a bit of a nasty one not in a provocative sense it was just a bad challenge should have been a red card yeah I think it was probably a red card as well I think what QPR fans will tell you is they've had quite a few decisions go against them this season so this is a very good example of how they balance out over the course of the season when they don't necessarily go your way if this was a red and it did go that way, then it could have been a very different result for QPR, couldn't it? Mm. On the Preston side of things, then Tony's three-word review, abysmal second half. And Preston have now conceded 27 goals in their last 12 games. Prior to that, they'd conceded five goals in seven games. That is quite the contrast, Justin. Yeah, it's quite the drop-off. And I mentioned earlier on in the season, didn't I, about their creativity not being where it where, where where it probably needs to be, and obviously their defence was carrying a lot of the burden earlier on this season. Now it's dropped off. I mean, if you're looking at their creativity, for example, um, they they've been well, they've not been creating many chances. They're behind the likes of Sheffield Wednesday um, and Rotherham in terms of chances created so far this season. So there's a lot that they need to work on, and obviously defensively they need to shore up as well because they are conceding chances left, right and centre and not putting anything together themselves and it's a recipe for a a big drop off, a big drop down the table. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why I wasn't getting too carried away with Preston's good start to the season because they weren't playing tremendously well. It felt like they were kind of pushing their luck a bit with, you know, chances at either end of the pitch and now it seems to be, you know, getting it's payback mm-hmm. in terms of an in terms of that sense and you look at it now they're still eighth in the table but there's only three points separating them and 14th place Bristol City so it's quite a slippery slope if you go over the edge of that cliff and it would not surprise me if Preston had 
quite a dramatic drop down the table because that was the thing at the start of the season, wasn't it? They were just a brick wall. We called it the Great Wall of Lancashire early <laughs> in the season. And now the Great Wall has completely crumbled apart. And if they haven't got that, plus they're not massively prolific up the other end, that's a big problem for Ryan Lowe and Preston. So I am a bit worried about what's going to happen over this Christmas period. A 93rd minute equaliser saw Swansea rescue a point at home to Huddersfield. What all it finished there. SCFC Dan's three-word review for Swansea. Michael Duff out. And Michael Duff has gone from starting the season under pressure to winning four in a row, easing the pressure on him, to now very much being under pressure again after one win in eight. Justin, you backed... Michael Duff from the start and I assume that's still the case even though they have now dropped down to 18th yeah it absolutely is it's easy to understand why fans are frustrated three points taken from the last possible 15 at home isn't good enough and that will put you under pressure but you know if we're talking about survival Duff has survived a worse run of form than this and a derby defeat to Cardiff so things have been worse than what they are now it's just a little bit of inconsistency he needs to iron out looking at this game in isolation they had 78% possession 22 shots they went 1-0 down to an unfortunate own goal from Cabango maybe could have had a penalty for a clumsy challenge on Jerry Yates it's, it's a fine margin in, in that sense they dominated but just couldn't find a way through so it's unfair to pile the pressure on Duff because they deserve to win this game based on the balance of play. Um, it's just about getting a bit more, bit more consistency, consistency in that in that final third and being a bit, a bit more um, productive in that sense. Let me play devil's advocate for a sec though, Justin, because Swansea fans, I can understand why they're frustrated. Obviously, results haven't been great recently, but it does kind of look like Swansea are going backwards as a club now after you know having. Steve Cooper before getting them in the playoffs, they obviously they had a bit of a transition when Russell Martin came in and then he looked like he was getting them in the right direction again. He's gone and now they've got Michael Duff in and they're kind of at the level where their performances have kind of, you know, signalled, haven't they? It's understandable, but they've not had this level of turnover in their squad since they came down from the Premier League. This has been a huge, huge turnover in the squad. It's basically a reset in terms of the squad that they have, uh, from my point of view. So it's going to have teething issues. They're going to have problems they're going to run into. And I think I've said this a couple of times already this season. Um, so I think it's a case of let's see where Duff's at in, in a couple of months' time. And obviously, if they're flirting too close to relegation, so then maybe you do make a decision. But commit to him, commit to the style of play, and, and commit to the transition that they're currently going through. It's as simple as that. I think making split, um, split judgment decisions. Uh, on scenarios like this aren't healthy for a football club. On Sunday afternoon, a 94th minute winner saw Norwich win 2-1 away at Bristol City. And Justin Peach, you must be feeling pretty smug after getting a bit of backlash for saying Norwich should give David Wagner time, as will Delia Smith, I imagine, after she was uh, giving the boo boys a bit of stick in the week. But what, what's your reaction to this result? Yeah, I mean, when I said that, I didn't expect Delia Smith to say some pretty bizarre things, not backing me up personally, <laughs> but almost agreeing with me but yeah but the way she said it was a lot worse than I think how I how I put it but yeah it's I think for me again it's a similar situation to um, Swansea in a lot of clubs if you keep changing manager it's not going to work and I think Ben Napper needs time to bet himself in um, and this result takes a lot of pressure off David Wagner because it is a big win it's a last minute win and I think a last minute win can breed a fair bit of confidence and Bristol City are a difficult side to to break down and beat. They've gone and scored two goals, two goals at Ashton Gate in what was a pretty unconvincing game from both sides, uh, and they've come out at the other end of it. So, yeah, there's a lot to work on, and I'm not praising 
um, David Wagner. But as I say, it's, it ch- changing everything too quickly can have an adverse effect. Weren't you saying he should be sacked just a few weeks ago, though? On paper, yes, he should be sacked. But at this point, I think it's unhealthy to force Ben Napper into making a decision and possibly making the wrong one in terms of the manager. So they, they, should, they should just keep having poor form. Well, who are they, who are they going to bring in? To... Who are they going to bring in instead? Are they going to bring in a caretaker manager? Ben, ben Napper's been on the sidelines now for months waiting for this job to come around and now he's actually here surely he has someone in mind to take the job on shouldn't he otherwise he's not a very good sporting director yeah but he was he was meant to start in march if we if we get to the, the, no it was no he wasn't he was meant to start later in the year well it, it, whatever the case he's, he's coming earlier than what was anticipated there's meant to be a bigger transition between Weber and and Napa to ease him in which you probably could have said okay let's make a just let's make a change I've been here a little bit longer than and I've had the guidance from someone who's already here um at the minute he's, he's coming in on his own he's having to make decisions for the future of the football club and I think the manager is probably the last one he needs to make right now there's bigger there's bigger issues at Norwich than the manager simple for me like what like the, the imbalance of the playing squad, the recruitment. Um, can't do anything about that now, can he? Because it's not January. Yeah, but he can get a structure put in behind the scenes. That's what he should be working on, from my point of view. Okay, then. It is 15 points from an available 45 for David Wagner. I will also say Norwich always seem to play on a Sunday. I don't think any club plays more on a Sunday than Norwich. I don't know what that's about, but it just seems to be the case. A 97th minute winner from Adam Randell saw Plymouth beat Stoke 2-1. Chris's three-word review. He's a Stoke fan, not good enough. Uh, Steve, he's also a Stoke fan. Here's three, his three-word review. New depths plummeted. Um, I will unashamedly always celebrate a Plymouth win because I want them to do well. And that's because I just think they're a very well-run football club. A win for Plymouth is a win for football as far as I'm concerned. So I'm happy whenever they score. Um, But it's now Stoke down to 20th after this result on 21 points. Remember when they had that mad spell where they won against Middlesbrough, Leeds and Sunderland? (laughs) Imagine if they didn't have that. My God, Mm -hmm. they would be in a lot of trouble. They're five points clear of the bottom three still. Sheffield Wednesday next weekend... If they don't win that, Alex Neal could be in a bit of trouble, couldn't he, Justin? I think he's in trouble now. I think Alex Neal's one of those managers who's always sort of two or three games from the sack. Constantly in trouble. Yeah, he's, 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 he's always three he's games away from the looking sack. Looking through the blinds to see where the trouble is. <laughs> three ga- Always three games away from the sack. And then he sort of, he has a run of games where he wins three on a trot, brings it back up again and it goes down again. He, the man's a roller coaster at Stoke. Stoke a roller coaster. <laughs> it really is. He doesn't get a moment's rest, does he? And final game of the weekend, Millwall 1, Sunderland 1. Millwall were a goal ahead before Sunderland equalised through a penalty, which was never a penalty in a million years. Actually, an excellent tackle from the Millwall defender. So very unfortunate for them there. And also, that was my outsider for midweek. So I'm equally annoyed as the the, uh, Millwall fans are. Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Which of these teams is the most likely to get relegated this season? Birmingham, Plymouth, Stoke, Swansea. We've been saying for ages, Justin, that the it's probably going to be three of the bottom four. But if another team were to come out of the pack and be extraordinarily shit, which one of those clubs do you reckon it could be? Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Birmingham. Is there, any, is there anyone I missed out there who you think um, could potentially be in trouble? No, I think Coventry are going to be fine. Bristol City, if things don't settle nicely for Liam Manning, could be, could be in a bit of bother, but... I think the teams you've 
you've said they're they're the biggest biggest uh, sinners in that sense yeah yeah there's a lot of teams down there who I look at and think they will improve but it's got to be one of these four teams if anyone else were to get themselves in trouble and it Birmingham 41% Plymouth 25% I don't see Plymouth going down for me personally Stoke 20% Stoke are the one who I'm looking at thinking it's one, it's one, it's yeah, it's one of them. They've got a good squad, but it's that sort of yeah. level of squad that might pull you in, and actually, it, it absolutely fucks you. They've been going in that direction for a while now, haven't they? Yeah, still got twenty percent, and Swansea fourteen percent. Uh, next question: Has Wes Burns won goal of the season in the championship already? Yes or no? I I had some replies to this in terms of goals that I might have thought would be better, but now I can't remember those goals, so I'm just gonna have to say yes. Good. Um, I would also say yes. I mean, if there is another goal that pips it, I'm already I'm ready here waiting to see it because it's going to be something marvellous. I can tell you that for sure. 48% of people said yes. 52% said no. And what's your favourite Christmas movie? Die Hard, Elf, Home Alone, Love Actually. I, I don't... None of those are my favourite. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is my favourite. That is peak cinema. Never heard of it. Right. Okay. Um, but out of those, I would say Die Hard. You, you, you frustrate the hell out of me. I've, I've never even heard that film. Are you being in serious? Higher life. I'm being deadly. You're a serious. disgrace. Um, for me, I, I'm a softy. I like Love Actually. Really? I watched it last night. I, I, I just thoroughly enjoy it. I nearly shed a tear. It's, at the f- it's a very problematic um, film from my perspective. Well, it's the, it's the Colin Firth bit where he's uh, proposing to her. That's That gets me. After a week. I didn't actually cry, but, you know, I was a bit hungover. Um, why do you think it's a problematic film? I, I think there's a lot of fat shaming in it I'm not a big fan of. I think it's quite mean okay. to certain people in that film. Name? No. No. I'm not going to... I mean, there's only one character in that whole film who gets fat shamed yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. It? So uh, if you watch the film, I'm sure you can guess who it is. 42% of people said Home Alone. Home Alone is a cracking film as well. 24% said Die Hard, also a cracking film. 23% said Elf. I think Elf's overrated. I, I completely personally. agree. I'm, I'm trying to say that quietly in case my other half hears me because she'll probably kick me head in if she hadn't yeah. hit that opinion. I'm not a fan. And 12% said Love Actually. That's the polls. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do, all he's got to do rather, is name all eight. So for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to then say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all his lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your hateful eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out for the next time we do a hateful eight. Alternatively, just play along at home. Let us know how many you get. This week's hateful eight has been sent in by Daniel Tudge. He'd actually DM'd it to us on Twitter, which you can also do if you want, if that's more preferable to you as a hateful eight provider. Um, he wants you to name this, Justin, the last eight FA Cup winners currently in the championship. I'm willing to give you three lives Ooh. on this one. FA Cup winners as players, right? Not managers. Yeah, teams, 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 teams. Oh, FA Cup winning teams. Teams, yes. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. I should have said that. No, that's no, that's, that's fine. That's a cheeky one. I'm going to go with Leicester first. 
Yes, Leicester City were the most recent winners by quite a distance, having won it only a few years ago in 2021. That is one down, Justin. Who's got the triangle corner flags? That's the difference, isn't it? The teams who have square corner flags aren't FA Cup winners. The teams that have triangle ones are. Is that right? I think so, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a fact. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a load of bollocks. No, no, no. no. But I don't know enough about it to disprove it. <laughs> It'd be an incredible thing to make up on the spot. Um, I'll go with, I mean, Leeds have got to have won an FA Cup at some point. I am going to be watching every single game now to see the shape of their corner flags. I've never noticed that at all. Yeah. Are you sure that's true? I, I'm sure this is a bit of knowledge that I was told when I was about 10 how, years old. How sure are you percentage-wise? I'm, I'm going to say 90%. But it might, wow, just okay. think, it might have just been a thing that my dad told me to shut me up one day. And now I believe it. Like the moon was made out of cheese, which is not, is it? You know what I mean? That sort of thing. That's, that's I, I'm going to have to tune in to every single game now and just acknowledge the shape of their <laughs> corner flag. Um, Leeds is correct. Surprisingly, only won it once. They were the sixth most recent team, and that was in 1972 against Arsenal. So that is two down. Coventry won it in the 80s. They did. They were the second most recent winners all the way back in 1987. That is three down. Wednesday. Got to be Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday last won it in 1935, which is three years too early for this list, Justin. You have lost a life. You've still got five to go, two lives remaining. This is this is a really hard one. It should be on on paper. It's a very easy one, but it's bloody hard. Um, oh, I can't recall Southampton winning it. They got to a couple of finals, or they got that 03 final. I'll say Southampton. Southampton is correct. They won it for the one time in 1976, the fourth most recent Jesus. team in the championship. So you're halfway there, Justin. Two lives remaining. Sunderland. Sunderland also correct. They won it twice, most recently in 1973. That's the fifth most recent. So three to go, Justin. Two lives remaining. Uh, Christ. Who oh, got to an FA Cup final but didn't win it? Um, Correct. Damn Wigan, you'd have been got Ipswich, Ipswich, surely Ipswich. Ipswich is correct. The third most recent. They won it for the only time in 1978. That means you have got the six most recent winners, Justin. You are now on to the final two. Okay, Graham Taylor's Watford. Graham Taylor's Watford have not won it. They did not win it at all, Watford. Um, Never won it. Mm. So that is one life down, Justin. And you've got one life remaining. Two teams to guess. I'll go QPR. Queen's Park Rangers have never won the FA Cup. So that is Justin Peach out, ladies and gentlemen. He has fallen foul to Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. The teams you were looking for. The seventh most recent side is West Bromwich Albion. They've won it five times. Only nine teams have won more FA Cups than West Brom, but the most recent occasion, one is 1968. And the other team, quite a big gap to the eighth most recent, was Preston, who last won it in 1938. You've got to remember, before World War II, Preston were 
basically the Manchester United of England. Which Manchester United? <laughs> Not the one now. The, the, the good Manchester <laughs> United. I was going to say Man City and I was like, that doesn't really work. But they, they were basically the Preston were the pre-World they were War really II, good. post-World War II Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> Took a lot of brain cells to work out that one, Justin. Uh, do you feel like you've been hard done to there? No, that's um, that's a tricky one because it's literally just you're you're racing against your uh, yeah, how many you mentioned basically because it's yeah, it could be any team, it could be any team. It is just the biggest teams essentially, and you're not far off if you just do that. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That has been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to give you a preview of next weekend's games in the Championship, and we bloody look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.